Well, we just interviewed Rob Bell, and then we actually were efficient for once, so we decided to record the intro at the same time, right yeah. after the call. And so you and I, I think, are just a little high off of a really fantastic interview with an incredibly wonderful human being that has definitely, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. It was wow. It was very wow. Yeah, exactly. I think we both wanted to... <laughs> I know. It was wow. He's he's funny and amazing and so good at at articulating I know things that are really so much. More. I want to learn from him. I I know he was saying he teaches classes locally. I'm going to maybe when you um, send him something, maybe you could say Holly's interested in your Viper Room classes because I definitely yeah. want to learn from him. He he knows quite a bit. So, Laura, before we go any further, not a lot of people. I'm assuming not a, not a lot, but I'm assuming some of our listeners don't know who Rob Bell is. So can you just uh, give a drop a bio on Rob Bell and um, on Pastor Rob Bell? <laughs> so yeah, I think I think uh, a lot of our listeners know who he is, and some don't. But for those who don't, uh, Rob Bell is a pastor. He uh, and we talk about that a like lot, a, like a Louis pastor. Sorry. <laughs> like a pastor, <laughs> not of cheeses, of God. And he is, uh, he's a, a New York Times bestselling author. He's written a lot of books. Um, love Wins, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, The Zimzum of Love. I love that one. Uh, Velvet Elvis and a bunch of others. He is... Um, has been on Oprah and interviewed by her and asked big questions like, what is God? What is a soul? Uh, what is prayer? And he's just got an a, a amazing and unique and inspiring way of bringing forth um, these messages I, that I, you know, I saw him speak in Boston last year and was totally blown away. And I, I just, I, I think he's an important person um, to to listen to. Well, they're not. He's not traditional in the sense he's not religious traditional, and he's you know meaning that he he also incorporates. I mean, like one of one of my favorite one of my favorite philosophies is spiral dynamics, and he incorporates the idea of spiral dynamics into his teachings. I found out he'd been teaching it for ten years, and the way that he talks about God, and the way you know at the end we talk about Jesus, the way he talks about redemption and sin, and all of these very loaded words, and all of these very um, heavy, 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 uh, historically, um, I would say historically, uh, I don't even know, um, misused. Um, misused ideas and concepts to repress the way that he talks about these ideas and brings them into um, and, and and into the conversation are very they're very approachable and they're also I mean they're just highly in line with things like that I've picked up in A Course in Miracles or Vedic philosophy or um, or Hinduism or or any number of different ways that I have had to skirt around Christianity in order to come to spirituality and so. 
Yeah. 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 He was, and he, you know, we, we were interested in talking to him because of the, his friendship with Oprah. The big, (laughs) (laughs) because of the big, um, con, you know, the big con, we both love talking about spirituality and God, but just uh, that, those themes in, in, especially in regards to recovery. And we've had, you know, I think these, these, the, the topic comes up in every one of our episodes in some way. And it was just such an honor. He, I had very, very high expectations and he kind of blew them out of the water. So it was just a, and so down to earth. It was such it was a good fun. conversation. It was, it was such a good conversation. And we have, we, we didn't even, we weren't able to get through even a half the questions that we had pulled together for him. And, and not only that, more were generated from the conversation. So he'll be somebody that we hopefully have on and he's agreed to this. And I believe he's probably a man of his word. Um, so we'll probably have him on again to be able to explore some of these topics further. But I just, I love it. I love talking about God. I love, you know, like I, I love talking about Jesus. I love Jesus and I'm not afraid to say it. Um, but, you know, all these things I've had to make my own. And that's what I really liked about this conversation because he allows us to make, take these concepts and make them our own in a world that demands for us to be able to make these ideas our own. So. Yeah. And he, um, he's got it. A podcast too. We didn't talk about that at all, but it's called the Robcast. Robcast. <laughs> and the Robcast, and it's it's awesome. And he does some interviews. He interviews great people um, from like all. He's he's interested in art, and I, that's another reason I love him. Is he sees sort of art as a spiritual act, and you know whether it's music or paintings or poems and. Uh, he he talks to a lot of artists, which I love, and he uh, just sometimes riffs on his own, which is cool. And he's also got a new book coming out next month called "How to Be Here." So, yeah. So without so much ado, love for for Rob, so much love for Rob. Here's Rob. All right. So hey, Rob, where are you today? I am in uh, Los Angeles. I just went surfing. Oh, Took nice. my kids to school. Walked the dog. Walked my wife over to her workout with the dog. And then came home, worked at my desk on some uh, projects, and then I went surfing, and then I got back in time to talk to you. So it's uh, honestly, it's a great day. Lovely. (laughs) That is an awesome day. day. Yeah. (laughs) So, Holly, I'm in LA. LA. Yeah. Laura's in Boston. Um, Because we only have 50 minutes with you, I think we just jump right into it. Um, So, are you cool if I go first, Laura, and ask this question? This is, Absolutely. I'm so terrified to ask this question now that I'm asking it, but I'm going to do it. So I'll just be no honest. No <laughs> fear, no terror. I am unoffendable. I know. That's why I'm asking it. Okay. And I'm unembarrassable. <laughs> that's why I'm asking it. Okay. So here's the deal. Laura, um, Liz Gilbert mentioned, you know, basically posted something on social media and said, um, go see Rob Bell. Go see Rob Bell talk. And Laura got really excited about it, went immediately, saw you talk. And I rolled my eyes at it. And I rolled my eyes at it because anybody in my in my own, in my own, I would say, judgment of, of you know, based on my own past historical experiences, when anybody puts the name pastor in front of his name and also when it's a man, I tend to immediately write that off. And so it didn't matter that right. Elizabeth Gilbert was saying it. It didn't matter that Laura went and was like super stoked about it. I didn't want to know anything about you. And I'm just being honest. I like, I was just uh, like, fantastic. Ugh, Pastor Rob Bell, Pastor Rob Bell. And so 
it wasn't until Laura had you come on this, and I still, like, I, I still, I don't even know what I, t- I told you, Laura. I'm like, is it okay if I'm annoyed that he's a man and his name is Pastor Abel? And Laura said, read his books, read his books. And so, and I'm highly spiritual, just so you know, I'm, I'm you know, there's nothing that I've read of yours that, like, puts me off, like, I actually, I read you and fell in love with you. But the question that I have for you that I really want you to address is that why do you go by Pastor Rob Bell with the like what do you what are your thoughts on this number one but two also what do you think about when you like owning this name and 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 taking the name pastor which has so much baggage attached to it with which has so much connotation especially in our today's Wait, world did you hear me refer to myself as pastor rob bell i thought that's what you went by <laughs> is it not you, i mean you, that's... is there one instance of me <laughs> no. calling myself pastor no. rob bell i don't no, but that's what Elizabeth Gilbert as as- said. She said Pastor Robell and Laura said Pastor Robell. Oh, then ask her, because I'm not aware that I've called myself anything other than Rob. Wow, <laughs> I love it. Okay. But do you go and by- actually my wife, it's interesting, my wife Kristen will say you should not use she said you should not use the word pastor because of all of the associations uh. people have with that world word that aren't what you do. Yeah. Um, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I do. There is, so uh, you're essentially talking about the throw up in your mouth factor that you have. With yeah, that word, I think correct? of Jim Baker. I like, mean, that's what I think of. I think of a fundamentalist preacher or something of my past right. that um, that I don't so, take seriously. So the, interest, the interesting thing about like a word like that is whatever negative connotations. If I come out of that world, um, so that, and at one time I was in a local church and I was like, you know, a or the pastor, um, you either sort of avoid it or you just own it, but in a new way. Mm-hmm. So what's really interesting is Liz and I did this tour with Oprah and Oprah would call me pastor and she would begin <laughs> by saying, now... Rob's a pastor, but you're going to have to rethink what you think about what it means to be a pastor when he does his thing. You know what I mean? So um, the tension that you are identifying, I know exactly what you're talking about. And probably the reason why is for many people, pastor is associated with a whole number of things that we all simply don't want any part of. For instance, a select few people are going to go to heaven when they die and everybody else is going to be burned forever mm-hmm. or that all that matters is some disembodied soul and not the earth and food and friends and music and all of the physicality and sweat and wine and music you know what i mean like yeah. all of life yeah um let alone the way in which especially in western culture and american culture pastor has often been used to refer to a particular narrow subculture that is sort of intertwined with really destructive politics and anti-science, anti-gay, often anti-intellectual. And yeah, there's a giant hairball there. Yeah. So uh, I'm with you. I want nothing to do with a number of those things. Yeah. On the flip side, uh, there is this beautiful thing that happens when somebody can give you guidance or insight or direction or can simply announce to you that you are loved. There's nothing you need to prove. There's nothing you need to do to earn the love that you already have. That can be a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And when somebody announces that with a sort of honest, authentic integrity, that's a really inspiring thing. Yeah, you know what I was just thinking of as we're as you're as you're saying this, and as even as Holly asked her question, even though I knew what it was, and that was kind of my answer to Holly's question. Holly, how are you doing on that answer to that question? No, I love it, and, and the reason I asked this is because I, when I read your book, I wish I had read it sooner. Do you know what I mean? I wish I had gotten over that barrier sooner, and so I did yeah. not know yeah. that you weren't self-proclaimed. I did think it was your title forgive me. Um, but also it's just, it's kind of one of those things I wonder, it's just the question of, do you ditch it and try, do you ditch it and create something different? Or do you stay with certain things and try and reframe what people's perception is of that? I just, that was the point of what I was getting to you. And also just how you yeah. deal with it, you know, how you deal with, with people assuming things about yeah. you because of, because of a, a label or a title or, or, a you know, a lineage or and Liz whatever. and Liz finds that 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 really moving and compelling. So yeah. great. Can By the way, I think I interrupted you, Laura. Oh no, that's okay. I I was just wondering. I was like, can you, can you not hear me? Because I can only see two people. No, I was just thinking. You know, it's a lot of like saying the word sober. <laughs> in it, yeah, and how Holly and I have said, okay, you're either gonna claim this and make it something new. Yeah. Um, which is what Holly did with her company and then what I've just done myself because I, you know, it has a lot of, it, it has a lot of connotations to it. Uh, and yeah. so it's, it could go both ways. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking it's sort of the same, you know, it's similar. It's a similar thing. It is. Yeah. Right. Right. And part of it, and part of it is just the sh- sheer force of will yeah. to be like this word is... Uh, it has been hijacked. It has been abused. So uh, I'm stealing it back. Yeah. I'm taking it back. I love it. Um, like a friend of mine the other day, uh, what was he talking? Oh, he was saying how he just can't stand the word sin. And I was like, <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. Um, when a woman is raped, what is the word for that? Right. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, it's bad. It's wrong. It's evil. I was like, Okay, but it seems like you should have a more powerful word than just bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so the word sin has all sorts of obviously baggage and attachment to it, but you're going to have to come up with some really strong, fierce, volatile word for the horrible things that people do to each other. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just leave a word behind because you're like, ah, oh, it's too loaded down. And then other times... You're like, no, I'm going to keep this. I'm just going to, by sheer force of will, force people to have to rethink what they think about this word. Yeah, yeah. love it. So, uh, obviously, you, you know, I've read, I've read most of your books. You have a lot and a huge <laughs> body of work, and I and I love and I love it. You have you have an amazing body of work. I you talk about addiction sort of in the general sense when you're talking about you know, in many ways. Um, so I know that you address themes of addiction, but yeah. do you talk about, do you, is, have you done sp- any specific work with addiction or people, you know, who are addicted? Well, or what's your um, experience of, you know, working with people in addiction? Well, you know how it all, what was interesting is, uh, when I was starting out, uh, as a pastor, <laughs> I was like 24, <laughs> 25 and, uh, I want after one of my first sermons, this older gentleman comes up to me and he says, his name was George. He says, 
uh, you need to go to AA. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm not aware of a problem with alcohol. And he said, oh, no, it's not about that. Everything you need to learn about being a pastor, you learn in AA. Oh, and uh, so he said, just go, and when I come to you, just say that you pass. Um, so I started going into these like church basement AA meetings, mm -hmm. and they'd come to me, and I would say, like, hi, I'm Rob, I pass. Uh, to this day, I'm sure there are people who are at those meetings who are like, man, that guy, he's a, he's a hard one. You know what I mean? <laughs> hard shell to <laughs> Like, crack. that guy's made a stone. That guy's made a yeah. stone. Keep coming, buddy. <laughs> Keep coming. Um, but I remember the first uh, couple of meetings, I kept trying to identify what was in the room. I was like, what is this thing that's hanging in the air that is so captivating to me? And I finally was like, oh, this is like a bullshit free zone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This, th this is, this is for everybody who has no energy left to pretend that, that everything is fine. Oh, now, well, what's really interesting is it was in the basement of the church, and upstairs was where uh, I, like, I was brand new and was working in this church. Upstairs was like where the church services were, which was kind of where everybody pretends everything is fine. It was mm -hmm. like there was the downstairs and upstairs to me were like, oh, there's a couple of ways to do this. <laughs> One of them is everybody's great. We're winning. We're going to make America great again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, everybody pretend everything's fine. The family sits in a row. Everybody plays their role in the family system, no matter how toxic or dysfunctional it is. And then downstairs with the bad coffee is broken, tired, a little beaten down, and yet there is a raw power in this weakness that is way stronger than all of the pretending to be strong upstairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, uh, it, and so I was probably, I was like 25, 26, and it was like, but this thing downstairs doesn't announce itself it's just folding chairs. I mean, it's all your, your sort of stereotypical recovery group um, decor. Yep. And yet something about it to me is like, wow, weak is the new strong. When you're at the end of yourself is actually where the most compelling things start to happen. And it really, really shaped me. I mean, to this day, it, it and then there was this really interesting thing that, that for me was mind-blowing which is when you came in the program you, you had a mentor and you could call that person any day any hour of the day or night yeah. and it was like oh this is actually this is the juice this is the mojo this is the thing yeah. right mm -hmm. here you know what i mean yeah um this is human community this is carrying each other and it actually when you talk about addressing addiction everybody's struggling with something. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so when we talk about addiction, I don't immediately go to alcohol or drugs. I go to all the people over the years I've interacted with who are addicted to all sorts of things. Everybody needs help. Everybody is at some level unmanageable. And that's, that's deep. So you probably pick it up in my work because it's, it's less like an overt, this is the chapter on recovery and more like it just shapes the whole way I see everything. Totally. Exactly how, how I saw it. Yeah. I love that story about how you started out. That just gave me. Isn't that fascinating? I remember when he was like, 
George Wixom. He was like, you need to go to AA. I remember just being like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what talking about. And then being there and be like, oh, yeah. 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 I love it. It's kind of like that you, I, I watched the thing with you talking to Oprah and she asked you what the difference between religion and spirituality was. And do you remember what you said? Uh, probably something like religions for everybody who doesn't want to go to hell. Yeah. Spirituality is for everybody who's already been there. Yeah. That might have been one of my answers. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Well, just what you just said about the, about the church, the congregation upstairs, and then the AA meeting yeah. downstairs. I thought that was a very appropriate yeah. metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> religion, religion, ideally, is a beautiful thing because it gives you a path. It gives you rituals. It gives you songs. It gives you uh, when you lose somebody that you love. It gives you a lament. It gives you a prayer. It gives you a poem. When you are on top of the world, it gives you a, a song to dance to. I mean, religion ideally gives shape and form to things. That's right. Um, it's just sometimes it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I was reading something say, recently that talked about the root word of, of religion. I believe it is. It just means origin, right? And it just means holding true to your own rituals. And I think we're, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of places you get into trouble with it. But the original, the root of it was, was intended to yeah. help you identify and be closer to, to spirit. And yeah, we end yeah, up yeah. It's far different sometimes. So, okay, so my, my question is next. So if you were running an AA meeting, how would you introduce the concept of a higher, higher power? And the main question here is, do you believe that people need to find God to get and stay sober? And before you answer, I want to give you a little, like just a little background on this. This was, the, this was what Laura and I believed when we first started out this podcast. We were doing an episode and we said we didn't know anybody that was happy and sober and hadn't found God. And then we've found somebody who was happy and sober and hadn't found God. And not only that, we had taken away something from her, which was she had overcome a great fear that she couldn't get sober. if She didn't find God and she had tried her best to find God and hadn't. It just wasn't, it wasn't for her. It wasn't her thing. And she found sobriety and found happiness. And, and so I guess like the, so going back to it, one of the things that really I think terrifies a lot of people is if they don't have this feeling or this sense or this understanding, they're afraid they're not going to be able to get sober. And so then I'll ask the question again. If you were running an AA meeting, how would you introduce the concept of a higher power? And do you believe that people need to find God to get and stay sober or get and stay sober? Uh, great question. I would begin with saying there's this great philosopher, Dallas Willard, who said that familiarity can breed unfamiliarity, that something can be so close and so familiar that you actually lose touch with what it is. Uh, so there's somebody in your life who they're just there in your life. All of a sudden one day you're like, oh, look at so-and-so. I've never actually noticed that about them. So I think the word God for so many people, the word God is used like, you know, God. But you then ask what they mean by that, and if there's 10 people, you get 11 opinions. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I always want to know what people mean when they say God, because for some people, God is a separate entity who's somewhere else, yeah. generally with a long beard on a cloud, yeah. who yeah. reaches in a hand from time to time, and does things or doesn't do things. Uh, it would have been nice at the Holocaust, by the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so right. I often, 
with the word God, I want to know what people mean because if oftentimes, especially like I'll often inter, uh, my friends who are atheists, when they talk about the God they don't believe in, I don't believe in that God either. Right. Um, the God who's like made that play happen in the Super Bowl. Like really? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I tend to want to know what people mean by that. And then sometimes when people have a hard time with God and you start asking them questions and uh, you think about the the Catholic Church priests abusing boys, um, you think about all of the ways in which God has been used to manipulate, to simply raise money, to... Um, the, oftentimes when people say the word God, they have a bunch of attachments to that word that I don't have. So I always want to know what else is in the room with the word God. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, she, can I, 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 as you're saying this, so we, we talked to her, you know, and we said, she, yeah. she just said, I can't, you know, I, the higher power, I just don't get it. I don't have one. I've tried. And, and she said, but I, you know, I, I have to say I'm, I'm very you know, mis mystical, or I think that's right. the word she used. And she said, I love the trees and I, I am in reverence and crying at the sky all the time. And, and she to takes me, lots of pictures of rainbows. I mean, that's, that's how my God feels. That's how my spirituality feels. Yeah. Right. So, right. So when she artic, she's articulating the, a presence that transcends herself. Exactly. And what's really interesting about that is we tend our hearts tend to become as big as whatever it is we worship, whatever we give ultimate power and authority to. You know what I mean? Totally. So the person who's greedy and is basically just about accumulating more money and stuff, their heart generally becomes as big as their money and their stuff. So I would say throughout human history, the power of the idea and, and the, the beauty of the idea of a higher power is it is attuning your heart, your soul, your spirit to that which is bigger than you because it opens you up rather than shuts you down. So like we would all agree that greed makes you a smaller person. So does stinginess and bitterness. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, bad but, frequency. But then, <laughs> pardon? A, a ba it's bad frequency or a lower right, frequency. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But then when people practice generosity, it does something like it opens us up. It's almost like there are these two fundamental directions our lives can be going, more and more open and expansive and loving, or more and more closer, cynical, greedy. And so when, when she says, I don't really have this idea of a God, but I do have this idea of mystery, this idea of that which can't be named. I mean, you can go back to like, the Old Testament, Moses interacting with a divine being who says, I have no shape or form. I mean, early, early Jewish history kept affirming the presence of a mystery at the heart of creation that doesn't have boundaries or edges. It is boundless. And then you have, like, think about the Jewish tradition, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He ride, God rides on clouds. You have a long tradition of imagery that is fire, sky, clouds, um, water, wraps the firmament like a garment. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have yeah. this really poetic language. So sometimes when people say God, what they mean is this very bound, basically they like a 
an angry version of their dad. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes, I do know. <laughs> um, but the tradition of a higher power is generally not propositions and abstract truth statements. It's much more images, metaphors, fire, yeah. water. Um, that when people talk about the divine, they generally shift into the kind of language that's actually big enough to handle this kind of an idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that to me, I mean, when Jesus talks about spirit, he talks about the wind. It yeah. blows where it wants. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like of all the images, wind, are you kidding me? It comes from where it wants and it goes where it wants. That is so far from an old man who does things and doesn't do things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or what I love, the early church fathers had this great word to describe the divine. They referred to the perichoresis of God. Huh. And peri is the Greek word for around, and choresis is where we get choreography. <sighs> so they referred to the divine as a dance of love, in which the divine is a community in love in which each encircles the other. Mm -hmm. And so they had this really interesting that the universe is ultimately a community of love in which each member encircles the other in love, care, and compassion. And so when you encircle another and move around them, when you orient yourself around the well-being of another, you are essentially lining yourself up. You're taking part in the great dance. How great is that? Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's, Where does that's that come God from? I believe in, yeah. That's a early church fathers. That's like third century or something. Huh. Oh, my God. So what's really interesting is you have, uh, or um, like in Celtic spirituality, like second century Irish spirituality, they began with an affirmation that the divine is both masculine and feminine that you need both of these energies because they're both present in creation. Have you studied um, a lot of Vedic texts or any sort of Hindu philosophies? I mean, because it's a lot of this. A little. Yeah. A little. I love the color and vibrancy. I love the fullness. Yeah. Um, no, it's the same, but it's the same aspect. It, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, the, the, the divine feminine, the masculine, the, the you know, it's um, a lot of what you, and, and also when I was reading some yes. of your books, I, I couldn't help but tracking back a lot of, a lot of similarities. I was just curious. I was just curious. Yeah. So, so going back to your question, when somebody's like, "Well, I just don't," often people are like, "I just don't." I was just wasn't able to find God. What helped me was, and then they'll often launch into an explanation of what helped them, and I'll think to myself, "Yeah, people have been describing God like that for thousands of years." Yeah, <laughs> I love that, and I feel like you know, I feel like it's such a it's. You know, our in our country, uh, recovery has been closely. It, it is AA for the most part. And Holly and I came together because we know that there's a bigger conversation. 90%. There, yeah, there's not. Yeah. You know that I I do. You know, Holly, we have different paths, and and I did I not think, do AA. Laura did yeah, AA. Yeah. Right. Oh, and interesting. I, yeah, and I and I, but I also take. You know, I very much. I felt the experience that you described of going into the meetings of what's happening here. And I wrote, mm -hmm. you know, I, I remember who I am in, in the best sense of who I can remember who I am when I go into those meetings. And to me, that's, yes. that's God. Okay. 
but you know, I also do a lot of other things and believe in a lot of other things. So it's not like binary. It's not like I do AA and therefore, you know, it doesn't discount any other path. And what Holly and I felt was so important is to say it, it doesn't, you don't have, it's not AA or nothing. It's not belief in a higher power or nothing. And to change the conversation around, around that and also around a higher power, because that's the natural extension of the conversation, right? A lot of people are turned right. away from AA because they don't believe in God or higher power. And so I love, love, love the fact that you explain it the way you do, because to me, when we were talking to our friend who says she's, you know, she doesn't believe in a higher power and she's talking about it, the way she talks about it in the words she uses and the frequency of her when you know her heart when she's saying these things that's how it feels to me too but that's also I do have to say something but that's also us wanting to take her words and her own explanation and put it into words that make sense to us and it still violates on some level that to her the word God does not make sense and to her the things do do not fit it doesn't fit we translate it as God that's our translation but for her that's not that's not her translation and that on some level you know I think is one of the, the things that I want to like respect more than anything about that conversation with her which was she gets to say it's not God and also there's other part of it too which is she talks about how it's not just that but it's also she thinks that we just that this is randomness and also she believes when we're gone we're gone and that's it and that she doesn't believe in a concept of spirit right and so there are other things that make it much you know much different um her experience of not having a higher power um it ties into a you know you know it transcends beyond just identifying something as God or not yeah, and I think that that's that's well said. Also, sometimes the discussion about God can get a little squishy, where everybody's like, "Yeah, you're every." It's just a giant polite club. It is I mean? where everybody's just affirming, but something <laughs> within you is like, when somebody says, "And when you die, that's it. Um, nothing happens beyond your death. That's all there is. The lights are turned off." That's an interesting form of fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know. Um, What we do know is that life is very mysterious. And to suddenly get incredibly narrow and and definitive about what happens when you die, to me, feels like it goes against the grain of what it means to be human and to keep discovering new depths of life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I love so, so you talk a lot about science. Like I love how you say this. You believe that science and re- and spirituality are not at odds with one another. And and that's how I've seen oh. it for a very long time. But I love how you how you talk about this and I think they uphold one another. And I would Absolutely. love for you to talk about that. Yeah, think think about the best scientists are the ones who are who basically say things like, whoa, you know what I mean? (laughs) Wow. Um, The scientist, uh, science is beautiful. Science is absolutely fantastic for explaining all sorts of things. You don't, though, when your friend dies of cancer, uh, there are things science can do and there are things science can't do. So... When it comes to the human heart, to longing, desire, loss, heartbreak, the death of a friend standing there, science is absolutely fantastic for explaining, for defining, for helping us navigate everyday life in a thousand different ways. But sometimes you don't need a scientist, you need a poet. You know what I mean? I do. Sometimes you you don't need... 
not all of life exists in the lab. Um, and, uh, you know, evolution is, does a wonderful job of explaining why I don't have a tail, but it right. doesn't do so well explaining why I find that interesting. Um, yeah. and so what the, the, the thing that happened about 500 years ago is we had this explosion, the enlightenment, the age of reason, we had this explosion of scientific knowledge. We now have airports and hospitals and 10,000 songs in our pocket. Science helped build this big, gleaming, modern world, and it accomplished so much that it's easy to see it as the end-all. Um, yeah. But it plays a vital role, but sometimes it falls short in some of the areas of soul and spirit. And especially when someone says, this is all there is, you're just a collection of biology, there's nothing more, you're here for a few moments, and then you die and the lights are turned out. Uh, we don't know that. That's an odd form of fundamentalism. Yeah. At that point, the really fundamental religious person and the really fundamental science person are starting to sound alike. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I do. I and do. I think when you talk about spirituality you are affirming that every fiber in your being senses that there's more going on here yeah. and yeah. that there is some sort of strange phenomena in which we can have this discussion that can't really be explained under a microscope. Um, and that can be hard. That can, that can be hard for people in the modern world who assume that there will be an, at some point that Google will come up with an algorithm to explain that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it was interesting. I was at a conference, a healthcare conference a couple of years, well, maybe like a year ago, and, and they they pulled the audience about what, what like, modifications that they would like and, like, you know, like, because some of the stuff is becoming possible. Like, would you like to be bionic? Would you mind if you had a data processor in you? Like, you know, what, what oh, different, what different, you know, what different things would you want to have um, integrated into your body in order to make you, like, superhuman? And I was just sitting there freaking the fuck out. I just was like, I want to be yeah, just human. Right. I just want to be human. But it, right. but it is... But it is it is really interesting. Um, so Laura, I will I will relinquish. I just have one more quick question on this line, and then Laura, you can ask all your questions. Um, have you heard of spiral dynamics at all? Have you studied that? I have been teaching it. I've been teaching it for ten years. Awesome. Yeah. So I can, just did an event. I just did an event with Don Beck, who started. Spiral oh, dynamics. I know. I know who Don together. Beck is. I know who Don Beck is. It was hilarious. They were like, "We want to put the two of you on stage together and see what happens." No, <laughs> I want to see this. So, it was crazy. So then, so then, when you are talking about what you're talking about, I mean, I, I want to say like the the age that we're in, it just is. It's very highly adopt, adaptive towards believing in science over over organized religion. And and can you? I mean, I know this is such a really crazy subject, but can you talk a little bit about that and 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 how that also supports your work, or is this just way too way too deep? Well, think about the. Okay, so because of science, we know so much more about the world. We know about plate tectonics. We know about particle physics. We know about temperature. We know about uh, friction. We know about mechanical laws. So we know so much, and we're learning so much, and it's allowed us to build such a big, beautiful, gleaming world. Uh, but how do you stay with a partner long term? and not drive each other crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you instill within in your, your children a sense of adventure for the world? Uh, 
how do you deal with anxiety and doubts about your own place in the world when you're going out and doing your work? Uh, I mean, there are long, long lists of questions where we need guides. We need the village elder. We need a therapist. We need a priest. We need somebody to give us language for that which if we just talk about it in literal science terms, people will say, well, I'm just a facts person. Great. Call me when your first kid is born exactly. and you're standing in the hospital holding your child and then tell me about all of your facts and formulas. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I do. Um, so at the end of the day, what brings joy and meaning to life is some sort of path, some sort of sense that you are growing, that you are expanding, expanding. that you are... Mm -hmm. Um, There's a purpose, right? That you are that you have some larger purpose to your life. Think about how many businesses right now are desperately in search of a soul because they've realized, hey, when spirits are up, we make more money. Yeah. When people feel like a number, when they feel like they're a rat in a maze, profits go down. So they'll even say like. We notice that when people feel valued and when they have a sense that there's a story, the, that they're contributing to something larger than yourselves. So you have all these businesses right now that are very efficient. They are very organized. They have data and spreadsheets. It's almost like they're now in search of a soul. We have a great big machine that's very efficient and doesn't squeak. But what is it for? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. think about Google. Do not be evil. Don't be evil. Or... Um, Tom's Shoes, buy these shoes and we will give a pair to somebody. These are all businesses realizing there has to be something bigger than just efficiency. If efficiency and productivity are the highest goals for our life, that gets really boring and soulless really fast. So on one hand, you have people saying there's no place for religion and then you have companies at the peak of their success bringing in consultants to help them figure out what their story is. What does yeah. any of this mean? Do you know what I mean? I so, do. Um, we're like meaning factories. We can't help but create uh, meaning, significance, purpose. And that, now I would think that lots of expressions, traditional historical expressions of religion simply don't work like they used to. And so some things just need to die. But that doesn't mean that they won't, these needs won't resurface in other forms. Right. Well, yeah, that was a long answer to a good question. No, oh. it's like, well, <laughs> can you please talk about, you know, how you think of Spiral Dynamics in 10 minutes? Go. So. No. Good. I, I'm telling you, I do these events. I just did three weeks of events at the Viper Room. On, I do two days at a time for activists, entrepreneurs, artists, um, leaders. And I do about a half day on Spiral Dynamics. And I love to watch people's minds get blown because they're <laughs> yeah. like, wait, this? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I can't say enough about Spiral Dynamics. Yeah, I love it. So um, I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna shift directions, but I know we have a lot. Oh my god! Yeah. I wish you would be on the phone for like six hours. There's so many. Anyways, sorry. Yes. Or we're gonna have to do. Maybe we'll have to do a part two. Yeah. I would say. So what? Um, what about? We have a lot of people that come to us, right, and say, 
okay, I'm so this is I'm in the middle of my addiction. I'm at the bottom of my bottom of the bottom. And I, I mm-hmm. you know, I I'll, I'll, I'll tell it in my own story. I had one of the hundreds of times that I, you know, went through some kind of bottom. I was a new mom and I had went out for the night, left my husband, my new baby, and went out for the night in Boston and stayed out all night. Wasn't what I intended to do. Stayed out all night. And my phone died and I missed my train coming back in the morning. So I didn't make it home till midday next day. And, you know, I have a little baby and a husband who had no idea where I was. This is, you know, the the, the hundredth time. And I texted, mm-hmm. I texted my friend, I, you know, shame upon shame upon shame, right? Yeah. So I texted my friend when my phone uh, my phone was recharged and I, and I told her what happened and she's in recovery. And, you know, I had this sense that I knew this is where I needed to be, but I, I wasn't there yet. And she, I told her what had happened and, you know, all my nasty words about myself and, you know, all of the, the shame in this, in these texts. And she said, she texted me back two words and they were incomprehensible demoralization which is from the big book. It, it just says, you know, this is where it takes us. We go through incomprehensible demoralization. And I got, mm-hmm. oddly, this relief because part of it is, okay, it's recognized. Like, me too. You know, me too. This is yes. a me too moment. But, yes. but um, this is, you know, when you're in it, you the shame is so thick, especially for mothers. Um, and so many women come to us and say, they truly, truly believe as I did that you're not to be redeemed. You're not to be forgiven. And I would love, I got two emails last night of this, you know, along these lines. And I would just love to know what you say to people in that, in that place. I would, I believe that we all bear the image of the divine, that there is a divine spark within each of us, that there is a true self that we all possess. Mm -hmm. It is the us that transcends space and time, soul, spirit, consciousness, personality, however you want to say it, and that that is who you are at your deepest self, that the first word about you is that you've received this extraordinary gift and that you are good and that you belong, that you are a son, that you are a daughter of the divine and that we have this freedom to make choices about how we're going to live. And sometimes we make really destructive, toxic choices that we regret, but that that shame, the guilt, the beating yourself up, does not help you return to your true path. And so part of owning it is understanding that that does not define who you are, that you are first and foremost not that thing you did. You are first and foremost a daughter or a son of the divine. Mm -hmm. And if we begin with our true self, in my experience, then it's, it's easier, it's difficult, but it is in some ways easier to own up to the ways in which we need to make amends, to the ways in which we have wandered. There's this great Hebrew word, teshuva, which you kind of say with like an exclamation point, like (laughs) teshuva, and it means to return. So it's this idea, you wandered off the path. You, you, 
walked out into the deep weeds. And the moment when you realize, oh my word, I wandered off the path, you then can find your way back to the path. But in the, in the tradition surrounding teshuva, in that exact moment when you're most aware, oh my word, it's midday, I haven't been home, my phone has died, I am way off the path. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't beat yourself up over leaving the path. You, you are filled with gratitude that you are loved so much you were shown that you wandered off the path. Wow, oh, I love it. And for so many people, the shame is like a voice that plays in the head over and over again. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Being good enough was never the game we were playing. Because if you begin with, I belong, I'm loved, I'm here, I bear the image of the divine, the spark is within me, then playing the points game about whether you're good enough was never the game we were playing. Um, and uh, that's, how I, that's how I understand good news, or some would call it gospel. It's the announcement that you were never loved because you were good or because you earned enough points or because you were sober or because you were righteous or because you got good grades or you were skinny or pretty enough. It's the announcement that exactly in the moment in which you're most aware of how much you've fallen short, you are loved in that place. You are met in that place with grace and embrace and unconditional love. And that that's that's why I got into this. Was to yeah. announce that good news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that, that can that actually that could actually change your life. It well, it completely change. I mean, and I it, think it actually can free you to own up to the ways you've made a mess of things. Yes. Because for many people, if owning up to it calls into question their fundamental identity. So think about it in parenting. There's two ways to parent. The one way every time your kid screws up is to say, why do you always do that? The other way is to say, hey, we don't do that. You're better than that. Right. When you say to your kid, why do you always do that? What you are doing is calling into their question, their fundamental identity. Who are you? But your job as a parent is not to call into question their identity. It's to keep reminding them of who they are. You're better than that. That's not what we do. You're a bell. We don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like there are these two ways of parenting. The one calls into question fundamental identity, which always leaves the person with, person with a giant question mark deep in their heart. Yeah. The other way is to keep calling them back to their true self. So think about when you were in junior high or high school, the teachers that most made an impact on you. They weren't the ones who kept telling you everything you got wrong. They were those ones who told you, like, hey, I think you, I think you could be, do this. I think you're good at this. Yeah. That's what actually transforms us. Yeah, they're the ones that, that see you or you recognize that they see you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they announce to you who they believe your true self is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's how we are actually transformed. And Rob, yeah. do you believe this? I firmly believe we have to walk off the path in order. I think even walking off the path is part of the path sometimes. Like doing, going through the stuff that we go through and messing up greatly is, is almost what helps us become who we are. That's how I feel about my, at least what I went through. What do you think about that? Wait, wait, wait. Say, oh, yeah. And actually, there's an interesting thing called the myth of transgression, which is this whole body of thought that says, to understand grace and unconditional love, you have to have had experiences where you broke the rules. Yeah. Yeah. 
that, that actually <laughs> part of health. Think about, think about kids. There's this interesting thing where you protect your kids from suffering, but then there's a the point at which you actually want them to go out in the world and to get knocked around. Not too much. So you're uh. constantly like trying to protect them from too much. But you also know that if you keep your kids in a glass box, it's going to actually deprive them of much needed development. So there's this interesting thing where you're you're hoping that they have situations that are that are difficult, not too difficult that it crushes their spirit, but difficult enough that they they may have to dig into deeper resources. But yeah, I that's how it works. Is you <laughs> you break the rules and discover that you're still here and you're okay. Yeah. And that can be a beautiful thing. Yeah, I loved that. I loved that with um you talk about it a few times, but especially in Love Wins, that you know you, you essentially say your deepest, darkest sins and your shameful secrets are irrelevant when it comes to to your belonging in the divine, and then yeah. your goodness and your rightness and your church attendance and all of the yes. good things are also <laughs> irrelevant. And, yes, and I just oh, I just love that. We well, were never too. playing that game. If it's a keeping score game, we're all. That's not the game we're playing. Yeah. And that can actually set you free. That actually gives you a shot at doing some good in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so counterintuitive. It's so it's yes. you know, it's very much an undoing and I yes. think certain certainly I'm at, you know, I think that's why I I remember people saying when I went to my first meetings, you know, this is I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and I thought, "Bullshit. You know, there's no how how and I, I, get, I get it now because, you, you know, I get it because it is a gift. It's, it's basically yeah. what you're talking about. You know, you, you get to, I think you call it like the, the art of the ache or something along that. Where you, oh, yeah. There's that rub when you're, it's the bullshit free. You know, you're, you're just, you're burned to the ground. And then you get, you get to, you get to come back. So. Yep. Well said. <laughs> Hey, How much fun is this talking it's to all so of you? Oh my god. <laughs> I could do it all day. I could do it all day. I, I, basically that's how I'm shaping my life so I can do it. How much are you you're out of time I'm assuming, right? You don't have yeah. time for I got to go in a couple minutes. Do you have time yeah, for a quick Jesus question? <laughs> yeah. Let's do, let's is there do such do. a thing? <laughs> I'm going to try and say it really fast. So for me Jesus was my biggest struggle. I had a lot of friends at the beginning of this was and, and I had heard for quite a bit of my life that I needed to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in order to be redeemed. And I had one friend one time tell me my depression was because I hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And for me, it was a very long struggle that I eventually came to accept as Jesus as a brother and not Jesus as, as the Lord. And so I'm just curious, do you see Jesus as a brother or do you see Jesus as the Lord and Savior? Is that an easy question or is that ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not at all. That's a great question. And, you know, I came into this when I was a kid, I would hear the Jesus, st the stories about Jesus. And I loved that whenever there was a group that had kicked somebody to the edge, he went out to the edge. Yeah. When there was somebody who's nobody would hear their cry, he would hear their cry. I love that when he was asked a question, he would respond with a question. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that whenever somebody made a group that was in and a group that was out, he was like, no, 
it actually doesn't work that way. The people you think are out are actually in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just loved yeah. the yeah. story somehow rang through me. And I loved the idea that he kept insisting that there is a different way to see everything, that the first will be last, that we live in a world that ranks, that can't stop making hierarchies of who's better than and who's worse and who's up and who's down and who's on top and who's on the bottom. And that he kept insisting there's a whole other way to see life, that the woman who's giving like a penny might actually be giving more because it's done with authenticity from her heart. So I sort of didn't stumble into this with like a very systematic, he is the Lord and Savior, he is these 11 things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I had like this flesh and blood. I believed at some level. You understood um, him on a level that you were able to actually see through to the stuff that I, has taken me a really long time to see through to. to yeah, I, I understand that. Um, and Jesus invite, invited his followers to become students, to learn how to be in the world in a particular way. And in the early Christian tradition, they believed that there was something going on in the world through him that and what's interesting is Christ they didn't refer to Jesus Christ as like that was his last name what's interesting is the New Testament writers don't refer to his birth they don't really talk about first century Jewish life they keep calling him the Christ and they keep insisting that the Christ is some sort of universal energy some sort of cosmic Christ so they say he holds all things together through him all things were made they get uh, I don't even know what language you'd use for it, but the first, the New Testament keeps insisting that there is some sort of glue, energy, force, life, spark that holds the whole universe together, and that Jesus is a revelation of that. Yeah. Mm. Uh. Mm. Oh, a bing bing. Someone's phone just went off. I think I, I want to make sure we're mindful of your time, Rob. So I I want to have you come back and back and back and back hopefully please um, I, I could keep talking to you forever <laughs> are you there are you can you hear us rob oh did we lose him maybe jesus didn't like that answer that was a joke and then all of a sudden <laughs> i lost you i'm so sorry oh, no holly was like maybe jesus didn't like that answer. <laughs> okay. That is funny. okay. So, uh, so we should probably just do another one someday. How's that sound? No, I think yeah, that would be so amazing. It. This has been. I am. I have so much mad respect for you. I have so many questions, and I could listen to you talk forever, which is amazing, considering how I started out. Which is just proof that I'm not always right. <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, I just, you guys, I'm so cheering you on. I love what you're doing. I think that it's totally, it's just fantastic. And um, whenever you want to do another one, give me a shout and we'll do a round two. That'd be wonderful. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. Much love. Thank we'll you. Again. So much love. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.